Welcome to Money in the Mind. Join Andy, a mental health therapist, and Aaron, an accountant, as they explore personal finance, psychology, and provide resources to help on your financial journey. Hello, and welcome to episode eight of Money in the Mind. My name is Aaron. I'm joined by my friend Andy. Hello, Andy. Hello, Ron. So you had some interesting banter that you wanted to share. What were you showing me just like 15 minutes ago on your phone? Oh, absolutely. So there is a there's an app called Masterclass, and it was it, it's God, it's seriously the coolest thing ever. And obviously, I'm just gonna go on this weird word vomit and not be able to express it properly and give it good credence. And so first I have to thank my friend Justin for gifting me this. So he was gifted this masterclass year subscription for Christmas. And he apparently had a free year subscription to give to somebody of which he texted me and said, Hey, you seem like a person that would enjoy this. And I said, Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. I love this, you know, kind of stuff, whether it's learning new things through podcast or reading a book or, you know, actually having a video. Anyway, within this app masterclass, they have, oh Lord, 75 plus classes with multiple lessons within each class. And they have these insanely amazing professionals teaching these classes, such as you can, there's a cooking one and cooking two class by Gordon Ramsay. And they literally record him in his own home, teaching you how to use knives properly and how to sharpen them and how to make incredible scrambled eggs. And there's another class by, I think it's Chris Voss, right? He, I don't know. He's he's like the the master negotiator for FBI. He he teaches. There's Bob Iger of the CEO of Disney. Anyway, so I one I, I wanted to thank Justin for that. But I've been learning cooking from Gordon Ramsay, and I tell you what, dude, I swear if that guy made like pennies every year from cooking, he'd still do it because I mean th- there's an absolute just love of the art of pa- passion drive that that man has and and i can promise you he doesn't swear as much in his lessons as he does on tv that's really interesting one of the things when i was teaching accounting classes for a few years that i learned is the more enthusiasm that you show for something the the more your students will buy into what you're saying so it's interesting one that you've got these celebrities and experts teaching but also that they have so much passion that you can see that come through in these videos Absolutely. It and it truly, truly does. It's been it's been phenomenal. And then to apply those kind of things in the kitchen and see it come together. Uh Gordon Ramsay taught me how to make these scrambled eggs the other day, and although I didn't have sea urchin, as he said you should put in your scrambled eggs because you know everyone's just got sea urchin. You don't? <laughs> All right, Ronald. Anyway, uh but I made I made some scrambled eggs for my buddy Peyton the other day and he said that they were phenomenal. So thanks, Gordon Ramsay. That's really neat. Someone I follow on Twitter, his name is David Perel. He has a kind of a theme lately of talking about the future of education. And that's one of the items he mentions is how YouTube is kind of the next wave of education that people can learn from video, from online classes. And this masterclass thing sounds like much the same type of idea where that's kind of the wave of the future in education. I think it's just a fascinating field. Absolutely. It's phenomenally produced too. It's, it's great quality video. The only thing that I don't like about it is I can't get the app on 
like a Roku or anything like that. So I think you have to either watch it on a laptop. I haven't tried it on a laptop, but I just watch it on my phone. So, you know, just a really small screen. It's still great stuff, though. Yeah, I'll have to check that out, I think. Uh, Moving on, Andy, have you watched The Americans yet? No, Ron, I've not watched The Americans. I've asked you that question three or four times in the last week or so (laughs) because it is my new obsession. My older brother, Tim, got me into the show The Americans. It ran from about 2013 to 2018, and it is a show about two Russian spies in the 1980s, Cold War America still, and it is just... It, again, it's my new obsession. I I love it. It's a fascinating story. It's got a ton of conflict. It's got a lot of shades of gray where the the Americans, the FBI agents, the uh, American government are portrayed as having both good and not good qualities. And then these Russian KGB spies who you are the most emotionally invested in both have their good sides and bad sides. So it, it's a fascinating show. Really great characters. It, I don't often get lost in like a story or a world very often that's new to me. Most of my entertainment consumption is things that I've watched before that I already know all about. So to kind of get invested in a new story is a lot of fun. It's, it's definitely mature content, so don't let your kids watch it. But in terms of a really fascinating story, it's kind of my favorite new thing. So thanks to my brother for the recommendation. If you have Amazon Prime, Prime Video, it is totally free. Wonderful. Also, and we forgot to mention right at the beginning of the episode, we are going to start cutting up our podcast into really three main portions to where I know some people want nothing more than to never listen to Ron and I talk about our nonsense that we talk about at the beginning of the episode. But I will tell you that is one uncompromisable thing because this is our fun time for him and I to just one catch up and talk about some cool things. We, we, very much try not to talk about that at the beginning. Anyway, long story long, which if you talk to my wife, I'm a very long-winded person. (laughs) So, But we will split episodes. If you check out the show notes, we'll try to split when we start talking about our whatever's going on in our life, which is right at the beginning to cut to, you know, our actual topic and, and things about that. And then we'll, and then we'll have a time when we really start talking about applicable things that you can do. So today we are talking about spending. We often talk about like, how can we get our spending under control or why do we overspend? And those are what I, I personally think they're great episodes. Of course. <laughs> Uh, But today we're going to talk about like, how do we spend in a satisfying way? How can we spend and get some joy out of utilizing our money? I mean, there's a reason that we have money, correct? And and things in this world to be able to enjoy. And and we want to talk about how we can feel less guilty about what we're spending our money on. So Ron, do you you have any, any stories revolving around spending or struggles that you've had around that? Not that I can think of, not anything that I haven't shared before, just I have a tendency to be a spender. My mom, one of the first things I think she told my wife as we were beginning our courtship process was, well, Aaron, he doesn't spend like his brothers. I've got an older brother and a younger brother, and they tend to be the ones who might buy Starbucks or might uh, go out to eat a lot. But my mom, she's said this to multiple people and and I think it's I think it's wonderful. Uh, but 
Aaron's not someone who will spend all frequently, but he'll spend a lot. And that is a very accurate description. So I, I do like to kind of splurge occasionally, but then I'll go through, you know, four to six weeks where I don't buy anything for myself. And then I'll drop $180 on Adidas Ultra Boost that I absolutely don't need. Do you not need them? I have two pairs of them. Okay, so no. <laughs> so yes, I do um, need them. <laughs> So one of the, one of the things that I struggle with is is nailing down, and we're going to talk a lot about priority to, priorities today. One of the things that I struggle with is nailing down what I want to spend my money on. I am one of those. Anyone who knows me on a very personal level knows that I am one of those. Ooh, here's a new shiny thing. Ooh, here's a new shiny thing. I get distracted very easily. So one of the things that I've struggled with in my life is kind of fleeting from thing to thing. And we talked about dopamine on episode four. And I tell you what, man, the dopamine is just real in my life. Like, oh, I, you know, when I first started listening to the Art of Manliness podcast, oh, I want to, I want to be this well-dressed man. I want to be, buy these nice clothes and, you know, tailored suits and, and look good. And then it was, oh, well, I want to travel and spend my money on traveling. And just like, oh, well, I want to read these good books and I want to know all this stuff and have these sophisticated conversations while smoking a tobacco pipe or to spending more time with friends. And I tell you what, man, just nailing down some of those things has been tough to me and nailing down maybe two or three things, which again, we'll talk about today of how we really gain a lot of positivity and happiness through what we spend, because I've definitely had the the buyer's remorse plenty of times. And I think we, we buyer's remorse is so real to the point to where I think we often buy something and we have it so thick that when somebody says, oh, what'd you think about that? We over justify those kind of purchases, right? Like, yeah. you know, if, if I buy a, uh, golly, I'm trying to think of something that I bought recently that I probably didn't need. And then I tried to justify the purchase. I don't know if I think about it, I'll, I'll talk about it later. We all have them. Oh yeah. We, we all have them. And so that's one thing kind of like we talked about in the dopamine episode, really picking a few things and building upon those things that we purchase, whether it be traveling and building those experiences. But that's, that's, that's something that I struggle with. I can as well. I mentioned those, Ultra Boosts. I've, I've bought a couple of pairs in the last year or so, and it's it's one of those splurge purchases I I love to make. Athletic shoes are a common feature of my uh, closet, I guess. But yeah, spending it's tough. That's why that's why we kind of wanted to focus on the positive elements of spending today, because there is a way that we're psychologically wired to enjoy the things on which we spend. So we're gonna look at a few things today that kind of give you ways to maximize the way you're wired in in the way that you spend as well. Yeah, so so a couple of the words that instantly stand out to me when we talk about spending, we talk about gratification. We talk about priorities. So with gratification, how do we how do we achieve it? Where do you currently find your happiness? I've talked about the idea of being content or having that contentness. I'm going to make that a thing, dude. That is my I'm going to do it. Go for it. All right. You, everyone listening, the the couple people that listen to this show and send us really nice feedback, you've you've got to make it happen. Hashtag contentness. Hashtag contentness. So think about you know how how do we achieve this gratification or our priorities? We talk about priorities so much because that is such a oh my gosh when I work with patients, especially 
patients uh, suffering with addiction, I talk about priorities. You know, a, a lot of addicts talk about their kids. A lot of addicts talk about being free from this. And so we talk about the priorities and we talk about, okay, what what is going to cause you more pain? Is relapsing going to cause you more pain or is not using and having to cope with life going to cause you more pain? Pain is a huge, 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 huge thing when it comes to basic humanity and as humans we we avoid pain as much as we possibly can anything we can do to avoid pain it causes us to cut corners it causes us to cheat it causes us to not put in just an honest effort with what we do and so we avoid pain very much and so right from the start looking at priorities what are the kind of things that like, what are your priorities? What do you spend money on? And then what makes you feel gross on the inside? We'll talk about various techniques to kind of figure out what those what those are. There is um, a calculator on the website MarketWatch, and I've kind of dunked on MarketWatch on one of our previous episodes where they had that headline about, you should have two times your salary saved by retirement. So here's another way I'm going to dunk on MarketWatch, although I don't have any inherent issue with uh, kind of financial media. They, they're like anything else where they just, they need content and that drives their website. So anyways, MarketWatch a few weeks back when Disney Plus debuted and it's something like seven and seven bucks a month. And MarketWatch has a calculator that shows you basically the, the lifetime cost of Disney Plus and they also had a other streaming services, Netflix, et cetera, in this calculator that shows you, all right, if you spend $50 a month on streaming services and you could have been investing that money and getting a 6 7% return over time, then these streaming services, you could plug in some numbers and it'll tell you that your lifetime cost of doing that can be something like $20,000, $30,000 which is just kind of ridiculous, right? We we get Netflix, we have Amazon Prime, uh, Disney Plus, The Mandalorian was super fun. Oh my gosh, so good. Yeah, and it's kind of like the, the coffee, coffee shaming advice that you see crop up occasionally where, well, if you... Uh, calculate the opportunity costs of buying coffee and, and and consider instead what would have happened if you had invested that in a S&P 500 index fund, then you, you'd have $6 trillion. Yeah. Right yeah. There's one person who actually said you, if you replaced your coffee habit with an investment habit, you could make a million dollars and the math on it just didn't make sense for one, but it, it was just a way to put people down. And the key to all this, I think is just finding a balance. So we shouldn't be starving ourselves or we shouldn't be making ourselves hurt in the short term just so that we can save money that we don't know if we'll be able to spend in the long term. What we want to do is achieve a balance between spending and saving so that we are saving for the future, but also giving ourselves permission to just enjoy things in the present. And like things like watching The Mandalorian and doting over Baby Yoda. Absolutely. Yeah, that's totally valid use of time, I think. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of the theme of this episode, I would say, is trying to achieve a balance and then how can we maximize our spending, optimize our spending in a way that we'll kind of get the most out of it, both in the present and in the future, because there are ways you can spend now that have good long-term effects, but it doesn't cost you the, it, it doesn't 
have that guilt involved that you see sometimes in financial media. Market Watch has a lot of good stuff, but those are two recent examples of things that they might even intentionally be just trying to get attention, which I can understand to an extent. But anyways. Got to get them clicks. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So unless you have anything else, Andy, I have a great resource. One of my absolute favorite finance books that I've read in the last couple of years. It's called uh, Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending by Elizabeth Dunn and Michael Norton. And they have five chapters and they all focus on one way that you can spend in a way to kind of optimize the spending so that you can enjoy it in a way that maybe you haven't thought about before. Absolutely. One of the things, and and I appreciate that, and so let's let's talk about some of the physiology about how we how we start to kind of recondition because I know everyone out there has got something that they just, for some reason they're spending on it and they feel guilty for one reason or another. Maybe it was a a script that was put in their head from their parents. Like, well, no, you should never go out to eat or you shouldn't spend this much money on this or blah, blah, blah insert here. And so even though it might bring you a lot of joy, you're also feeling this conflicted, you know, crap and, and feeling bad about what you're spending money on. One of the sweetest things that we've discovered about the brain in the past, you know, three, four decades is how the brain actually changes with new information. It's, it's the idea of neuroplasticity, that the brain is plastic and it's always molding and shaping and reforming. So the idea that you can't teach an old dog new tricks is completely bogus. It absolutely is. You can teach people new things and new ways of thinking it's tough don't get me wrong by no means is literally changing the physiology of your brain and how your neurons or brain cells fire is tough and that's why we provide certain resources new ways of thinking within this show because that's that's how it actually happens that's why therapy is successful for so many people because the things that you talk about and the things that you try and and the resources that you utilize start changing the aspects of your brain. So know that on a biological level, you can see differences in your brain. And so don't think that it's ever not hopeless. Okay, so knowing what you explained about neuroplasticity and using some of these techniques from this book, uh, Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending, I'm going to briefly just list the five ways from this book that the authors recommend to basically maximize your well-being. I'm not a big fan personally of the word happiness. I like to think of words like contentness or oh, oh there we go. Magical well, word or well-being or meaningful more meaningful ways to spend money, but that's just kind of an aside. I I don't really like the word happy, but anyways, it's a good book title and a, a catchy book title and it's an excellent excellent book. Well, when you real quick let's talk about it. So when when you think about it, like the word happy, I mean it's it's an emotion. It's an right. emotion like anger, sadness, joy, those those kind of emotions are are very fleeting. When we ground ourselves in something, we find a more baseline ability to find just being content out of life. We're not down, we're not up, we're just we're we're in existence. So if your goal in life is to always be happy, 
spoiler alert, you're not going to be. Right. You know, it, you're going to put so much pressure. You're going to be so hyper focused and vigilant about being happy that when you're not happy, you're going to think something's wrong with you. You start building what we call shame, which we could do an entire 19 episodes about shame and money, which we will write that down. And so, so yeah, that, that's a really good point. It, happy is a great emotion. It's a great thing to be able to experience. Just try not to base your 24 seven life around it. Understand that you will have ups and downs. Right. I like to think of these recommendations as meaningful ways to spend your money. So the very first one is buy experiences. I don't think any of these will be a surprise necessarily to anyone, but the way that they're talked about in the book, they give really good examples. That some of them are funny, but they're really good ways to illustrate the points that these authors are making. So the first recommendation for more meaningful spending is to buy experiences. I think one of the anecdotes that stands out the most from the entire book is this little old lady whose husband had unfortunately died and they had always wanted to take a space flight. She purchased from, I think it was Virgin, the company, oh, Richard Branson's company. There you company. go. Yep. Yep. Richard Branson, his company Virgin, I think it's, they've got a branch of it called Galactic. Um, Virgin Galactic, and they were offering a six-minute flight into outer space for two hundred thousand oh. dollars. Yeah, and this little this little old lady, before her husband died, they had both wanted to take this space flight and spend two hundred thousand dollars. And for you know your cost per per minute, <laughs> cost per six minutes is incredibly incredibly high. But she did it. Um, and it was something that she wished she, she could have done with her husband, but she couldn't. So, but she went ahead and did it anyways. She didn't regret that incredibly huge cash outflow. She didn't regret it for one second. The experience, the memory that it created, the ability to say, I was in outer space is something that the very, very smallest percentage of people can say they've actually done. So to buy an experience is to buy a memory that will actually probably increase in time in terms of your your fondness of it. So one of the one of the findings they mention is how material purchases tend to decrease in satisfaction over time, but buying experiences, you look back on that experience maybe even more fondly 5 years down the road than you did when you had actually experienced the experience. So that's one way that they recommend to maximize your spending. Dude, that sounds like a real life version of the movie Up. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. little man loses his wife and they always wanted to go to what essentially the Amazon. And yeah. then he says, forget this. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the best, I don't know, five to 10 minute opening of a movie oh in like gosh. cinema history. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Tearjerker. Yeah. Yeah, so that's one recommendation. Um, as part of buying experiences, the authors mentioned that the way you can get your most bang out of your buck is by having a memory that involves a social connection. If you have an experience that involves just an incredible story, my wife and I, um, in 2017, we got stranded in St. Louis because my car's transmission just blew out. So we were stuck there for, I think, three extra days. And because of that, 
we we kind of look back on it fondly because we we were stuck so we were kind of forced to to explore St. Louis and it it was kind of fun to we went on a chocolate factory tour you know we went to the the science museum the science center which was a popular uh, field trip destination when i lived there as a kid so that's something we look back on very fondly because it involves kind of a funny story of we got stuck because my car's transmission just died did you did you save the everlasting gobstopper or did you sell did you sell it to slugworth what come on willy wonka and the chocolate factory remember all the kids that had the golden ticket and this guy slugworth you know stopped all the kids and was like bring me back the everlasting gobstopper and then charlie gave it back to willy wonka at the end and he gave him the whole chocolate factory i'm not familiar Every, I'm, i i've heard of willy wonka but i'm not familiar with the story I unbelievable i probably watched the movie when i was five but not since then how do you not remember every piece of it i don't know whatever you whatever need to, you need to help me with my brain andy <laughs> So that, uh, let's see, social connection, a memorable story is involved. The experience is tightly linked to your sense of self. That's one way that you can maximize the purchase of an experience if it's very tightly linked to your sense of self. When my family went to Red River, New Mexico a few years ago, that was very tightly linked to my sense of self because it involved family that I don't get to see very often because they live in New Mexico. And another way to get the most bang for your buck on buying an experience, if it's just a unique opportunity that eludes easy comparison. So when the Husker football team goes to Ireland in 2021, Ooh. that would be a unique opportunity to both you know, see your favorite football team, but also be in Ireland, which just sounds amazing. I, it might take some convincing. I'm going to try to work on that one. <laughs> my cousin, Mark, uh, we're, we're pretty close. He is the godfather of my daughter and I'm the godfather of his, one of his daughters. And when I first saw that Nebraska was playing Illinois, cause he is an Illinois alumni. And when I first, and, and Illinois football has notoriously not been good. And obviously at this point in time, Nebraska is also kind of a point of contention for not being very good right now. Anyway, the first joke he made was, well, I haven't seen Illinois lose on another continent. So there's the first time for everything. We should go, Andy. Oh, that sounds absolutely marvelous. Yeah. The second way from this book to maximize. You know, you know Ireland is, is, it's on my bucket list of like top two places to travel. Is it? Very soon, like in the next 10 years. I want to go to Ireland and I want to go to Japan. Is that where Ron Swanson goes to the Lagavulin? That's uh, Scotland. That's Scotland. Okay. Idiot. Sorry, Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's Scotland, if you're listening, sorry. I don't know if we have any listeners in Scotland or Ireland yet. We had some downloads in Portugal. Did we? Yeah. Nice. Mm. Very good. Yeah. Okay. The second way to maximize your spending, make it a treat. And this is a way that if you are a coffee person, I think is kind of interesting. I'm not a coffee person, but one of the recommendations is instead of getting coffee every day, so while we're not coffee shamers, we might say instead of getting it every day, maybe get your absolute favorite coffee drink once a week or every other week or once a month because when you spread out your enjoyment of something, the ability to just make something into a treat enhances your enjoyment of it. And I actually, the book, because I haven't seen this movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, is no, 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 the no, book no, no. example. Tell me, you tell me, you've seen it. What is the example from the movie where Charlie makes a treat out of something? 
Well, hold on. First off, we were talking about Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. That's the Gene Wilder. Charlie in the Chocolate Factory is Johnny Depp's version of it. Gotcha. Or Tim Burton. I'm just destroying my credibility today. I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. Well, maybe it's the book, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. There you go. Charlie gets a chocolate bar once a year on his birthday, and all the wealthy kids have almost constant access to chocolate. So what Charlie does is he makes it a treat. He takes a few days, according to the book, because I don't know anything about this story, <laughs> he takes a few days and he just looks at his chocolate bar that he gets once a year. And then he slowly opens it and he takes just one bite of it every day for about a month. And it takes about a month for him to eat the entire chocolate bar. Who do you think enjoys, actually enjoys their chocolate bar? It's not the kids who have constant access to them. It was Charlie. So that's one of the recommendations. When you know something isn't going to last forever, you're more likely to savor it. And the book also gives examples of puppies. You might think you want a new puppy or a, you know, a, a kitten to stay in that adorable, cute stage. You might want Baby Yoda to stay Baby Yoda forever. But logically, um, while that seems to make sense to us, we're not likely to enjoy that experience as much if it lasted a long time. So to the people who can savor the experience of you know a new puppy or a chocolate bar, whatever it might be, the McRib sandwich. Ooh. If you can savor that and, and McDonald's kind of forces you to savor it because they have limited releases once or twice a year. If you can make it a treat, spread out your enjoyment of something, you're much more likely to actually enjoy that thing. Yeah. If you can get constant access to something, it, it makes it almost this null thing. It loses that dopamine effect. It loses the, just the uh, what I'm, uh, what's the word I'm trying to come up with? It starts just, with an N. You, novelty. I was, novelty. Novelty. Yes, there we go. Yes. Loses the novelty. Yeah. One of the techniques you can utilize to really be in the moment. A lot of mindfulness has been very popular in the last handful of years when it comes to the the world of psychology. But really, just being present in the here and now. Really. Like, okay, so a good example for Charlie and his chocolate bar. You know, he's not just opening it up and biting it. He's he's looking at it. He's feeling the foil on the chocolate raptor. He's smelling the chocolate. He's tasting it. He's hearing the crinkling of it opening up. He's using every one of his senses to truly get something about that. We go out to eat and we have this wonderful meal. Yeah, we, we talk about it, but, oh, can you imagine if it took you... For me, I can eat a cheeseburger in probably under like two minutes. I'm a fast eater and I am obnoxious. So if it took me 15 minutes to eat this cheeseburger, I mean, and and I and I've started to try to slow down and really savor those experiences. That's a way that you can apply this particular technique. Yeah, the third recommendation from the book is to buy time. If you get a Roomba vacuum, my cousin just bought his own house in Wisconsin, and it's one of those really neat houses that's built into the side of a hill. Ooh. So it's really energy efficient because the hill kind of insulates him from the, the warmth and the cold, the hmm. seasons in Wisconsin. Anyways, he bought a Roomba and got it programmed to just automatically vacuum his house. And that's one of the ways that you can maximize spending by buying time. Maybe that's... You know, if you can afford it, having someone do your lawn service or, you know, in the extreme cases, the example most of us can't really imagine, but having someone actually clean your house, you know, paying somebody to do that. 
Um, that's kind of a more of a luxurious thing, but there are small ways in which we can buy time and a Roomba vacuum is kind of a neat example of that. Part of this also too is if you can take the time, because so, so much of us feel time deficient, if you can take the time to volunteer or help a friend or spend meaningful time with somebody, the people who do those kinds of things are actually more likely to feel like they have more time. So they're taking more time to do meaningful things, but they're feeling like they actually have more time to use because they're spending time on meaningful activities. Yeah, there was a there was a study done based upon people that felt like they had a lot of time or people that feel like they didn't. And what is the notorious thing that we hear people say constantly in this day and age? It's, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. I can't do that. I'm so busy. What they're really saying is I'm not prioritizing this in my life. And that's fine. Whatever your priorities are, are your priorities. And it's not for myself or Ron to tell you what those are. If your priority is to spend three hours a day on your phone, you know, scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, cool. That's fine. Own that. That's perfectly fine. If you don't have time to, to volunteer or to, you know, pick up a hobby or play the guitar or I'm just, you know, spitballing here, then that, that's cool. It's all about how you prioritize your time. I think we often, though, we get caught in this need because I, especially in Western culture, being busy is a sign of, I guess, what we'd call success. It's a badge of honor. A badge of honor. Like, oh, I'm just drowning in this. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. No. It's a signal. It's a signal. Yeah. It's like, no, you're drowning. Like, do you, do you need help? Sure. <laughs> do you need someone yeah. to talk to? Do you need to get a dog? Also a recommendation as, from this part of the chapter. If you, get a, if you get a dog, that forces you to take the time to walk the dog to take care of it. Don't get a puppy and a Roomba at the same time because <laughs> if your puppy has an accident, then the Roomba might, you know, like smear it all over your entire house. That's that's a horror story I've heard. So don't, Mm. don't try to maximize your time and your puppy purchasing. That could be counterproductive. (laughs) There you go. Anyways, the fourth recommendation for how to optimize spending for your well-being is this is basically the dopamine chapter. I call it pay now consume later. So buying, you can kind of combine this with the experience recommendation. If you pay up front for a vacation, and we've kind of mentioned this before, then people actually tend to enjoy their vacations. They get the most out of it before they go on the vacation. So if you can book your Airbnb, your whatever, your VRBO ahead of time, scroll through the pictures ahead of time, get your itinerary, that's a way to maximize spending Uh, We'll refer you to that dopamine episode for more on that technique, I guess. Absolutely. Now, it wouldn't be a Money in the Mind episode if we didn't talk about our dear friend Ramit Sati, would it? Nope. No, not even a little bit. One of the things Ramit talks about, and this is kind of the coup de grace of how he sees finances. He talks about this idea of money dials. So when we talked about priorities earlier and we talk about how we can be satisfied and what we're spending our money on, what I want everyone is, is the idea of turning up the dial like on a speaker on certain things that you want to spend money on and turning the dial down on other things that really don't bring you that contentness or, or happiness or joy or long lasting effect of, of what you spend your money on. A good example. I was out with a friend of mine. His name is Sean and he is, he is just a great guy. Anyway, he talked about this friend of his that goes on a yearly trip and he, and he always, he gets these very big 
places. Like he travels to a different country and they, they rent a large house. So, so tons of people can come like, you know, sometimes like 20 people come on these trips. And he was, and my buddy Sean was telling me about how, you know, he hasn't been able to go on one of these trips yet, but he's going on it this year and he's very excited about it. And so how I see this guy, you know, his, you know, and, and I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. I probably could have talked to him in preparation of this episode anyway so you could see that he turns his money dial up because he loves traveling and he loves spending time with his friends and so those are the two maybe three things that he loves to spend his money on because he's gaining this these experiencing these memories and i've seen these pictures on facebook of it and it just seems like this incredible time and so what he's doing is he's turning up his money dials on these experiences and he's turning down his money dials on maybe other things i don't i don't know what those things are like i said i spoken to him but you know it, it it can be those kind of things and certain money dials in your life could be convenience that was that's one thing that Ramit does he spends exorbitant amounts of like time and money on making his life more convenient and now that he's done that he he just you know can enjoy it to the fullest maybe your money dial could be travel that's a big one maybe your money dials health and fitness maybe it's clothing maybe it's what have you, but real life things. And so how to apply these things. So first and foremost, write it down. Don't just talk about it, like own this. What do you currently spend your money on? And and this could be more broad categories like entertainment, food, travel, whatever it is, write down the things that you spend your money on and look at those and look at that list. So what are the things on there that make your stomach turn or make you just simply look at them and go, eh, you know, whatever. I, oh man, I spend my money on clothes and I don't really care what kind of clothes I wear. Whatever. Maybe it is something that you care. Now, look at those things on your list that make your heart jump. If you can't determine this, ask two or three different people that are close to you, your significant other, your parents, a very close friend, ask them what they think makes you happy via your money. Once you have those things, cut the crap or or greatly decrease the amount of money that you spend on those things and turn the other things up. Spend more on those things. You can even use what we call in in the in the therapy world called the Likert scale and give number to the things on those lists from one to ten. Maybe for some people, your clothes, spending money on like good clothes is going to be a ten, or and then maybe going out to eat three times a week that's going to be a ten on yours. And maybe maybe having a really nice car is just not something that you care about. In my personal life, I've. I've always cared about my car to get me to point A to B. I, it, I don't really care what it looks like as long as it functions and keeps my family safe. So that on my, you know, Likert scale or money dial would be turned down low. It would be very whatever. Like I need a functioning car. I want to have it paid off quickly. Not something I want to spend a ton of money on. I love the way Ramit frames his approach to spending because he's trying to say, stop feeling guilty and start spending more. I think one of the ways he introduces the book or one of his chapters is to say, all right, if you could spend, you know, X amount of dollars on something you really love, now now double it. What would happen if you could do that? And then he kind of, throughout the book, kind of gives you a little bit of a psychological framework without you even realizing it because he's not really explicit all the time about how he's kind of mastering, how he's mastered psychology to help people with their money. But he kind of frames it as a way, okay, what if you could double your spending on these things that you just love? And throughout the book, then kind of walks you through, okay, here's the ways we can help you so that you can ultimately start to achieve 
doubling your spending on something like a trip or clothes or time with friends. He gives an example of somebody who spends five figures on restaurants and drinks and food every year because that is a priority. Yeah. And then the idea is turn some of these money dials up and then cut mercilessly on the stuff that just it, it exists. Right. You can't you can't spend on everything. So mm-hmm. pick a few priorities and spend more on those things. You have limitations, so you'll have to just yeah, ruthlessly cut out those right. things that aren't as much of a priority. Right. One of the other techniques that I use with with my patients is the use of what's called I statements. I use this in therapy when I'm working with clients to help them take responsibility for their actions and thoughts. Usually it's more negative, like, okay, you know, who's the one that's destroying their lives with meth? And, and please, I'm not being condescending on, on people with addictions. That's not my case here. I'm just, it's a very common theme at Lasting Hope. But one of the, one of the, so you could use these I statements because so often we're living for others, whether it be for the validation to avoid conflict. You know, we live to, to maybe get that ideal self. And I know we've talked about that in other episodes, the difference between ideal self and real self. You can utilize this techniques to identify more of what we or I need. Look inward, really ask yourself, is this something I want to spend money on? Or is it what I spend money on because of somebody else? Like I enjoy spending money on going out to eat and trying a new beer, if that's something that I really like, or maybe is it something that my significant other or my friends want to do and I'm always letting them pick what to do and, and you feel guilty about spending that kind of money. So look, really look inward with, with what you're spending your money on. And part of that looking inward, you can also think about, well, who's, who are the people that are really important to me or a cause that's really important to me and then invest in others. And that's another recommendation from the happy money book. Those who even spent a dollar, the smallest denomination spent a dollar on somebody or a cause or whatever it might be giving to others, investing in others. That was a way that had just really, really good returns on investment, so to speak, in terms of well-being and contentness by spending and investing in others. Yeah. So another technique that you could utilize, it's, it's kind of like a storytelling technique or, or something we call it. It's, it's kind of like narrative therapy. If you enjoy stories, like try telling a story about yourself, like to yourself in it, depict yourself as the hero and your money as your goal, write or tell somebody this story about how you took control of your money to determine how you would be victorious in this story. You know, they're, they're always antagonists in, in good stories, right? There has to be somebody that's, you know, the, the hero is overcoming what whatever that antagonist may be. And what are the things that are getting in the way of your money goals? What is keeping you from spending you on the things that bring you again that ding, 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 contentness? And then make sure the goal is satisfaction with your money. Yeah, I've got two more recommendations. The first one involves that time element. And one of the things that people can do is think about your decisions in terms of how it affects your time instead of your money. With money, we tend to be a lot more cold and calculating. But when we think about how can I evaluate my time using some reframing that we've mentioned before, if you can reframe your decision making to how can I try to make my time more meaningful, people that think in terms of making time more meaningful are much more likely to socialize, spend time with people that they care about, do things that they care about as opposed to being 
very, very dollar budget conscious saying, well, I only have X number of dollars for this. I can't do this. So by thinking, framing your decision making in terms of what it, how it affects your time, that really tends to hone in on your priorities much more than using a, a money basis for your decisions. One of the coolest resources that I've come up with about how to prioritize, prioritize your time, this guy near Ayal, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, he wrote a book called Indistractable incredible. He was both on the Jordan Harbinger show and on Brett McKay's Art of Manliness. And he just talked about how to become indistractable. And essentially, it's kind of like Ramit, how prioritizing your money to make your, you know, make happy decisions with it. It's prioritizing your time to fit what you need out of your life. It's a very, very cool resource. So we'll link to it in the show notes. Do you have any other recommendations before we call it a day? No. All right. My final one, and I think this is the biggest takeaway is to optimize your well-being, you just got to get a dog. I wanted the big takeaway. Shout out to my to my Linus, my, <laughs> my Black Lab healer mix. Anything else? Good to go. All right. Thanks, as always, for listening. Please subscribe, share with a friend. Please give us a good rating, and we appreciate all the listeners and the support. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.